All right. I'm ready to do episode 10 with you and excited to have this conversation. Well, I don't know if excited is the right word. This is a conversation that needs to be had and kind of interesting timing given you know where we started with this podcast. So it's been a rough couple months, starting with a letter that got sent in the mail to you two months ago. So in December, can you tell us about what happened? Well, Meredith, you really want to get out of January, don't you? <laughs> yeah. It was December 15th that I got the letter and today is January 24th. So unless mm. you want it to be Valentine's Day, it, it feels like about a month forever. ago. <laughs> I do feel like January is never going to end. And then December is always so fast. But yeah, so um, in a previous podcast, we actually talked about this. We alluded in one of the more recent podcasts about this rumor that uh, I was going to get that the ethics committee was um, investigating something related to an Instagram group that I co-host. And turns out that in December 15th, they went ahead and um, turned the key in the lock and made it official. So on December 15th, I got an email indicating that the Board of Ethics of the American Speech Language Hearing Association, ASHA, has decided to um, take up a case on where there is an ethics violation against me for two reasons. One is that I refer to myself as a swallowologist, and the other is that I um, have an Instagram group called gulp.group. And gulp stands for gaining understanding about lovemaking and physiology. And I co-host that group with at Reba the Diva. She is a sexologist. They really call themselves sexperts, but so that we sounded analogous, I would refer to myself as a swallowologist and she would refer to herself as a sexologist. And uh, the whole point is that she is also an ASHA member, except for it's ASHA because she's a part of the American Sexual Health Association and they go by the same acronym. And uh, she gives a lot of seminars and workshops and um, online um, tutorials about sex and sex related things. But one thing that she didn't really understand um, for her most popular show, which is a fellatio workshop, she said the most common complaint that she got among attendees was how do I suppress my gag reflex? And I said, ooh, 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 I know all about the gag reflex, right? Mm -hmm. Not in a sexual way, but it doesn't really matter what the probe is, what the stimulus is. Some people can see something gross on TV and gag. Um, but it was that level of expertise that I'd gained over the years of studying swallowing that I was able to contribute to her and her clientele. Um, and I do a lot of asking questions on there because I'm not a sexologist or sexpert, um, but I was always keen to understand the physiology behind a lot of things that she talked about. So for me, it was um, coming out of retirement, if you will, and not being in academia anymore and wanting to um, increase visibility of our field in ways that lay people actually care about. I thought, huh, in addition to communication and feeding, what, what are other things that people care about that maybe those disciplines don't really understand? And so I reached out to her and just curious based on her page, and we ended up having a good partnership and Gulp grew. So um, that's how it all started. Well, it turns out that somebody saw that and didn't think that it was good and probably contacted the two people who submitted the claim because I don't even think they know what an Instagram is, like to be yeah. honest. Yeah. Um, one is Barbara Sunnies. And um, at the time that she was my dissertation advisor, she was probably in her 60s. And um, I was in my 20s. 
Um, and she, not advisor, she was my advisor, she was on my committee. And uh, the other person was Paul Rayo, who used to be ASHA president. And this past November, he actually got ASHA fellow, which is the highest award you can get. They submitted the um, claim. And if you read it based on what's on what's public, and I'm sure we can add that link to the site. Um, it's clear that they don't really understand what's going on, but they were probably put up to it as high level individuals that ASHA would li listen to, to try to take me down. These weren't probably the original people who saw it and thought it's time to clutch my pearls and get that girl for what she's doing. It clearly seemed to be coming from somebody who had sway. So why is this a big deal? Well, the reason it's a big deal is a couple of things. One is that the term swallowologist is used and it was actually coined at Dysphagia Research Society years ago. So I first heard about it in 2006 at my first meeting where I was presenting as a postdoctoral fellow. And I thought it was the cutest thing because everybody there was using it. It's on people's professional pages, on their university pages. Um, ASHA uses it in reference to other people. Um, there is a Twitter post that they had for ASHA leader or the online ASHA articles that they have. And they refer to other people in the field, speech pathologists as swallowologists. So why it's an ethical problem for me is not clear. And the other thing is that there are other speech pathologists who actually talk about sex specifically to um, engage speech pathologists to use their credentials and use their license to aid with intimacy and sex. I don't do that. I talk about it as an individual who happened to have gained knowledge in this area. So the big blowout was not just that they care about these things, but that me of all people, you know, I'm the person that they actually care about it with most. Why didn't they care about all the things all the ways that these uh, things were being used from swallowologists or a speech pathologist talking about sex. And what I would do is I would refer everybody to the two interviews that I already gave. One is with on inst Instagram um, at JRC, the SLP. So JRC underscore the SLP. I have an interview with her after the case was resolved. And then the other one is at We Act Radio. Um, that was the first interview I did before the case was resolved. So um, basically the big concern there is how did this all happen? <laughs> how did this turn into something? You know, I'm this person who's off on my own. I'm not even using my license. I hadn't used my last license in eight years, although I kept paying for it. Just, you know, who knows, maybe I'll use it one day. And they're here to strip it from me. Um, and uh, so the big, the big concern was how, how do you guys care so much about me? Yeah. Yeah. Like why, <laughs> why is it okay to come after a person like that for something that everybody else is doing? And more specifically, why you, you know, why not all these other people who have already been doing these things? Why you? Right. And the why me is likely because um, I'm polarizing because I am unapologetically me. And in order to be unapologetically me, I'm also black and female. And we can't take that out of the equation because the white female people who did it more aggressively actually were praised for it. Yeah. So the only common denominator is not necessarily the way I do it because um, their, their concern is that I am um, degrading the field by talking about it, but, and that the, the people might think that this is what SLPs do, but I never say this is what SLPs do. Right. Other people who actually say SLPs should be doing this, who are in the ASHA leader writing about it, they mm -hmm. actually do say SLPs should do it. And those same people don't have any issues. Yeah. Now, when we introduced this podcast, um, I don't know what year it was, 2020, maybe. Uh -huh. um, um, 
I introduced myself based on my characteristics. I didn't introduce myself based on my demographics, but I went ahead and added them in because I knew that they were relevant to some people. I talk about what I studied. I said I happened to be Black and female and Canadian. And um, from that first podcast to this one, one thing I learned is that all the things that I describe about myself before I get to the Black and female, to me, that's who I am. But the world can't let go of the other parts. And for some reason, even the people in our field who claim that cultural um, sensitivity or cultural competence or cultural understanding or whatever we wanna call it, everyone who claims that those are the things we should be caring about. And I'm sure if you ask these people who submitted these claims, they would say, absolutely, we need more. We need more people who aren't white in our field. They don't even see how their behavior contributes to the fact that we don't have as many in our field. Right. Yeah. And it does significantly, you know, there's, there's a big difference between, between saying, I want more, you know, diversity on our field and actually showing up in a way that respects when those people walk, you know, through the doors of our field, how they're treated when they're here, they're here. It's like complaining that you just want your tomato plants in your backyard. And every time you walk past one, you dig it up and throw it on the concrete. And you're like, why, why don't we have more? It's like, you keep digging them up <laughs> out yeah. of the earth when they're, when they're actually just trying to survive. And then yeah. you go, I don't know why we don't have any tomato plants in our backyard. Jesus. Right. What's going on? So um, this ended up being information that was the fact that this was happening ended up being information that was shared online because people who are friends with you and who knew that this was happening started talking about it and essentially Mm -hmm. saying this type of stuff cannot happen. This type of stuff cannot happen. Mm -hmm. And once that sort of went viral and people knew that stuff like this was happening, was there anything that surprised you about the way SLPs responded? Yes. Two things. One, I just want to say again about the positive. I was shocked by how many people took up arm, if you will, arms, if you will, on this case, which is they didn't um, need to check with me to see, um, uh, is it okay if I support you? Or they were just doing it. And the reason I say that is, you know, yes, thousands of people signed the petition and hundreds of people wrote letters for me. Um, I I just, every day on Instagram, I was bombarded with uh people who had either sent me the letter or had the picture of them in front of their computer with the letter or screenshot me letter, or they were in front of the mailbox, you know, somewhere in the middle of Montana in the snow with their snail mail letter saying, Mm -hmm. I support you kind of thing. Um, That really shocked me because uh, not just because I didn't know that anyone would really care, (laughs) to be honest, except for the the few people who kind of really uh, already follow me, but also because the case itself was so salient that people were like, hold on, hold on. Some people are like, I don't even know who you are. I just heard about this. And this is ridiculous. I'm writing a letter. Yeah. So for me, that was a big deal. It also indicated that speech pathologists can galvanize around a common issue. I never thought I would be the common issue. Um, but that taught me something that when people are fed up and they just see injustice, that they can band together. Um, so that was instrumental. But the other thing that I thought was really interesting were the responses, two responses. One is, the letter says confidential. You shouldn't be sharing it. And I remember thinking yeah. it's confidential for me, not for them. If yeah. you, I get to say what happens in my life. It's not that I can't out the claimants. They had to tell me their names so that it, there would be some kind of due process and transparency at these individuals. And you know what would happen if people didn't have to say that they were putting out claims against other people? We'd have so many claims. Yeah. If you could anonymously, anonymously submit a claim, yeah. there would be 
thousands of claims against everybody just because they didn't wear the color skirt that everybody thought they should wear. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so if you put your name out there as somebody who's doing that, I get to say, everybody, this is happening to me. I, I learned that people were shocked that I did this because they wanted to protect the people who submitted the claim or the process, this, this veil that they cover the process with. And mm -hmm. I think that's the problem. Um, I don't think Ash has ever had a circumstance like mine before where there was ever an ethics claim. And the day, two days after the person received it, they blew up the internet with it and said, Hey guys, this is happening to me. Right. Right. It was an indication of how outrageous it was and how unashamed I was and how, um, um, innocent I felt. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's one thing that was interesting about the responses. And the other thing were all the people who just were like, I don't think I understand how it's racist or sexist. Um, that to me was also very interesting. And the reason it was interesting is because, uh, people then had to have conversations and I get that there may be things that I've done or said that were ableist or homophobic through my life. And I needed somebody to say, here's why we as a community or I as an individual believe this. So I'm grateful that this conversation sort of echoed throughout the field. I'm still getting messages from students saying, hi, Dr. Humbert, I know you don't know me, but in my intro to CSD class or in my um, ethics and CSD class, we all had to pick up a controversial case and everybody picked up your case and wants to talk about it. And you're a trailblazer, you're out here leading the next generation. So this is what happens when somebody's brave enough to say, this is bullshit. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I just know something's, um, something's fishy. And when everybody is willing, willing to broadcast it for them to say, hey, what's going on here? Um, I think that's the other thing that I learned that sometimes you can be a catalyst in ways that you didn't think you could. I always thought it would probably be, um, you know, my, my step program that I have with Rinky, the Swallowing Training Education Portal, or my, maybe my work with Travis about um, cultural uh, linguistic, uh, about diversity, equity, inclusion, that would be the thing that went viral. But no, it's the Olivia Pope scandal <laughs> yeah, yeah. that went viral. Um, and that's what people responded to because they want to know what's going on in this, in this um, Emerald City that they don't have access to, but they pay dues to. Yeah. And I think that it was your transparency and your willingness to just say, I'm not hiding anything related to this. I'm not going to say, oh, something happened to me, but I'm not going to give anybody the details. You know, you just were extremely transparent and extremely clear about what happened, which gave other people the opportunity to really see the story, uh, you know, of start to finish, you know, what was in this letter? What exactly were they complaining about? Why were they complaining about it? And it was just so easy to see, Oh, you know, and I, I, I agree with you. I think there was a lot of private conversations between white people happening because of this, where they're like, well, I don't understand. And so they get to go back and forth with each other and help each other, you know, see something that maybe wouldn't have been obvious to them without conversation around yeah. it. It was obvious to some people, but it wasn't obvious to everybody. We know that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And that conversation was able to be had. But the other thing that was really obvious is how um, fair weathered friends some people are in the field. Right. So you have the people who liked to mooch off of me when they wanted my name to be associated with something they do. Dr. Humbert is going to be interviewed by us. Dr. Humbert's writing a, um, an article in my online thing. Dr. Humbert, Dr. Humbert tagging her. We're scheming. We're doing work together. And then when all they had to do was sign a petition and share a story. Well, I just need to know the whole story. Like, what's the whole story? I just don't know the whole story. Tell me the whole story. And yeah. it's like, 
literally, you know, everything I know. Yeah. If the whole story is right there. <laughs> yeah. If that wasn't outrageous enough for you, when you damn well know you use that term mm-hmm. or when you damn well know you do intimacy work, if right. you are still struggling to understand, then you are having a problem with admitting that you got something because you were white. Because in order to admit that I didn't get something because I was black, you have to know that the playing field is in your favor and that perhaps merit isn't all there is in this world or in this field. And that's really the thing that I think a lot of white people are struggling with, which is I have to admit that I might not be as good as I say I am. I have to admit that being born this color gives me an edge beyond my capacity. And I'd like to believe that I worked as hard as everybody else. I'd like to believe that there isn't any racism because it absolves me of guilt. But that whole process keeps this racism and the sexism going. Yeah. Yeah. I find it interesting in conversations about privileges with people that I feel like on average, the majority of the people are comfortable with saying, the phrase, yes, I have some privileges, but they're not yet comfortable with naming them and being clear about what they really are, you know, like really going through the list and being like, I've had this advantage. I've had this advantage. I've had this one. Um, I, I often find that when I'm in these conversations about privilege with people, um, and whiteness, I get things like, yeah, but I grew up poor, you know, it's always the like, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but stuff. Um, and then I would say, what well, then would you be willing to admit that a black person growing up poor had it worse than you? Right. Right. The point is not that you didn't have a hard life. The point is that your life would be harder given the same circumstances and being black. Right. That's exactly. what, and that's what, that's what, when we talk about anti-blackness, that's what, that's the level you have to go to. You can't mm-hmm. mince words. It's yin or it's yang. There's, gr- there's no gray area. You either are for it or you're against it. And that's the only way that you deal with these things. If you give people much, too much um, leeway and nuance, then they'll take it all because it's too uncomfortable to admit to. Right. Right. And it's to your point, it's not just saying I've had privilege because that's like the bare minimum. That's like Uh the door. It has to be, here's how I'm accountable for being problematic in this field. Here's how I have kept other people from getting in this field, or I don't know how I have, but if, do I know anybody who I did this to call me, email me, message me. I'm on Instagram. If I was your classmate and I did some dirty stuff, like I didn't invite you to the study group, but everybody else did. Um, or I made sure I only let certain people know what the instructor told me about what to know on the test, but I didn't let them know when you damn well knew that's why you did it. Yeah. Why don't you raise your hand and say that you did those things? Why? Because you have to give something up for equality. It's a zero sum game, people. Yeah. Yeah. I agree entirely. It is a zero sum game and nobody wants to really recognize that. Yeah. This is a mental health disorder. I just want to put it out there in the same way that misogyny and all those things. And um, that's a mental health disorder. The, the, think about if you had a partner who had intimacy issues or emotion, difficulty connecting emotionally, or maybe a parent and they go see a therapist and they realize that something that they learned growing up keeps them from connecting to people. And there was actually something in the DSM five, they would be there. Right. Especially if they had no clue that this was happening to him was all these things were operating in the background. Think about whiteness in this country and the extent to which people go to cover shit up. They will actually say things didn't happen. Slavery wasn't that bad, which by the way, was said to me by some people at the NIH while I was doing my dissertation. Okay. Slavery wasn't yeah. that bad. Now you're telling me that, and I don't know why you're even bringing that up, but it's almost like they want me to know that you don't have any advantages here. Why are you saying that to a doctoral student? 
Right. Why, why do you feel the need to come up to me out of the blue? I'm not talking to you about slavery and start strike up a conversation to let me know that it's not as bad as you think. Yeah. Why, yeah. Did you talk to your ancestors about how they whipped people and like raped people? And they said the, the slaves weren't that bad. How do you even know anything? Why are you opening your mouth? Right. right. Now, the interesting thing about those cases is as a black 28 year old at the NIH, Um, who is there at the mercy, if you will, of these people, I have to choose between my career and livelihood and telling these people where they can shove it. Right. And because so many people have to choose that and they choose their livelihood and their families, because I was um, married and pregnant with my first son, I didn't have time to lose my insurance. They kept getting away with it. Yeah. And when you're unapologetic and you say these things, and you finally get to the level where you can say something. They're like, well, she was always a nice Negro. Why is she mad now? Right. And then they're confused and they want to lash back because they know they have the power. And I think that may have had something to do with the claims as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's not surprising. It makes complete sense. So um, we know how SLPs responded. How did Asher respond? Do you want me to answer? Really respond. To be fair, Asher did respond. respond. What they did is, um, so a colleague of mine and many other people I heard contacted one of the claimants and it's all online. It was Um, Barbara Sunny's and described to her that this is a problem because of all the other areas in which sex is being discussed or intimacy or whatever you want to call it among speech pathologists and that ASHA themselves had a whole ASHA leader thing on it and talks at ASHA and she within 24 hours contacted the board of ethics and withdrew her claim against me and ASHA sent me a letter on so I got the original letter on December 15th and then the withdrawal that everything went viral beginning the 17th And then by the 22nd, I received a letter saying it's been withdrawn. Um, So they withdrew it in the letter because she withdrew it. And so they don't have two claims. And therefore, I guess they were like, well, we don't really have much other than swallowologists, which should tell them they didn't have anything in the first place. But okay, here we are. Um, And therefore, they decided um, to end it. Um, They did not apologize for even opening in the first place, because the thing is that so you can. You can try to ruin someone's life as quickly as you withdraw it just like that she had that much power did you look at the claim (laughs) you know what I'm saying Mm -hmm. um and so that was one the other thing is that they many times while this was going on and continues um Asha has had people um tagging them dming them emailing them sending letters um and commenting on their on their social media posts and they would sometimes just close the comments so people couldn't comment anymore about what was happening. I had been tagged so many times in all of these things. That's why I know. And it, I know how many times people commented mm-hmm. about these things and then commented that Asha shut off comments. So the communication specialists shut down communication among its specialists. And I think that's how Asha responded. They just tried to do see no evil, hear no evil, um, say no evil, smell no evil, feel no evil, like all the evils, they they, they were just um, oblivious to it. And oh, no, we've got to go through the process. I mm-hmm. will tell you another way that they responded. I got some indirect calls from people who are deeply affiliated with ASHA currently or in the past, letting me know that this whole public thing has got to stop as if I started it. I did approve people who said they wanted to go public, but I didn't post anything until it was already a big deal. Yeah. And- Um, the message to me was, if you just go through the process, this will all go away. And what's really interesting is that you guys started the process. 
you can end the process, but you want it to be the case that, well, she put up a good rebuttal. So, you know, the case went away as opposed to she shouldn't have had to put up a rebuttal. Why, why am I getting a, a message suggesting that if I just follow the steps, then it should be fine and that you haven't done anything wrong. If I haven't done anything wrong, then take it away. I'm not doing jack. Yeah. If you would have just accepted the private abuse and kept it all private and, you know, protected the people who were trying to, you know, cause harm. It's like like saying to a young girl, okay, when uncle so-and-so touched you inappropriately, it's, you know, we get it. But if you just, um, you know, keep it in the family and don't let anybody know, we'll be sure that he doesn't come to any of the functions more. He can't touch you anymore. Right. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it was disappointing. Um, and so in January there was a, um, so we got a, Asha got a new CEO, which I was super excited about to see sort of, you know, what things might change and everything with a change of CEO that happened on January 1st, there was a live chat with the CEO. Um, I could probably look up the dates, but it was at some point in January, maybe a couple of weeks ago, mid January, um, where the 12th, the 12th, I think so. (laughs) I don't remember details like this at all anymore. I'm, I'm glad that you do. My brain doesn't do that. Um, and I remember being really excited about going, thinking that we would get to have a conversation, that we would get to, you know, type comments, ideas, discussion into like, you know, a chat things, maybe sort of like Facebook is or something like that. And the CEO would be able to sort of pull things out of the chat that she had time to respond to and respond to them. Oh no, that's not what happened. What happened is we all fed questions into this dark abyss and sat there and had no idea what questions were getting fed. And then who knows what happens behind the curtain, you know, (laughs) it's like, it's like Oz and, you know, nobody knows what is happening with the man behind the curtain, but then they would have the, these questions that they would select from the ones that were asked. And then the CEO would have the chance to live answer them. And one of them was about this, where a member said, can you please just apologize to Ianessa basically saying everybody needs to hear this so that you, we can at least hear that you hear what we're saying, you know, like we're all saying this shit can't happen anymore. Please tell us that you'll do something, just anything to try to make this not happen anymore. Um, And the response was that they can't say anything because the process is that nothing can be said, which was disappointing. Yeah. And that's, that's how, that's how organizations get away with treating people like garbage. Yeah. Because they say, we wrote, some people years ago wrote something down on a piece of paper. And even though it's no longer relevant, we still have to abide by it, even though none of us wants that. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're doing right now. They're hearing an outcry from their membership saying there are processes happening that we are funding and we don't like it. Mm-hmm. So can you talk to us about how this works? And I think a lot of people thought that this would be town hall, town hall style um, where they could have a conversation. And so many people, I didn't, I didn't attend it or anything. I only learned that my name was brought up through you. And that's, I, you know, I learned it was very disappointing as well. Um, I was shocked that, you know, they even took the time to prepare a statement, which tells you something, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. It's because they knew that SLPs were wanting to hear that, but um, yeah, it's, and, and stuff like that has happened before where, you know, SLPs have a question that, and 
thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people are saying, this is important. We need you to, you know, talk to us about this. And now here she is post January 1st, a black woman who was in charge of the multicultural um, committee or whatever for 20 plus years, who has the opportunity to be transparent and demonstrate all the things that she probably thought should have happened when she was in that position. Yeah. And she fell right into the white male trap. Yeah. Because you know what? Money talks, reputation Mm -hmm. and prestige matter and policies and all these things that we tell ourselves to get out of being human beings and being authentic and being real. Now, do I think she's not human? Do I think she's inhumane? Do I think she's not authentic? Do I think she's not real? I don't know her. I interacted with her very briefly at random meetings, um, said hi, moved on. I was introduced to her when I was a student at Howard because you know, we were in the same city, basically the same area as, as um, Asha. And we would sometimes take trips out there, field trips, if you will, to meet Asha staff. And she was the person everybody made sure we meet because met because we're a group of black SLPs. And she's basically the, one of the black people on staff who would tell us about all the programs we can apply for. And who would have thunk that 22, 23 years later, she would have an opportunity to, um, be transparent as this as a new incoming CEO. And there is this person, the student she met 20 something years ago, who she was telling us about all the things that Asha can do. And she had a chance to do something. I'm not saying she should change the process. I'm saying that she has every opportunity to have a conversation with the ethics board and say, people need to hear something. They need to hear it now. And they need to at least hear we hear what you're saying. We understand that there are concerns. We have a plan to be transparent. We're talking and we have a plan to talk about this. This is not the time we're still in conversations. We hear you, we see you. We will give you answers about this process. We will explain why three volunteers are on this board. We will explain why they are not speech pathologists. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, we will explain all these things. We'll explain what do we have to respond to everything because I understand that they don't because other people who I know who had claims go against them were just referred to the office where they could verbally explain things before they actually got a letter saying you have to, um, you're, you're, it's official, you could actually be, you know, stripped of your license. Those kinds of things could have been said with um, compassion and still professionalism. And she chose not to do it. I don't want to hear anything about, well, maybe she had to. Every human being has the choice to be human upfront and Mm -hmm. forthright. And she chose not to do that. Now, it doesn't hurt my feelings. I'm gone. I'm out. What it does is it told every single person, black, brown, and otherwise, that they don't matter. Mm -hmm. Why do I know that? Because those are the messages I continue to get from people. They're not messaging her. They're messaging me saying, I need to find alternative ways to live. I need to get out of this field. I was about to start in this field and now I'm discouraged. I'm a, I'm brand new. And I heard about your case. Does Asha even care? Why are we here? What can I do to get out of this field? Should I pay my dues? All of that kind of stuff. I'm getting those messages as well as you should be president. You should start an alternative Asha thing. And you know, uh, that's that's the point is not to say that people are saying it to me so I'm special the point is to say this is that this is the conversation that's being had far more loudly than ever before yeah and I think the 12th could have been an opportunity to say yes these things happen yes we acknowledge them and yes you deserve answers and yes you're not going to hear everything you want to hear right now but yes we are planning to on this day join us on this day and we will talk about the ethics process and the board will be here and we'll talk about things blah 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 
And that's why now there's a counterclaim because people are fed up. Right. So there's a counterclaim on this case, on my case. This, I say this case like I'm not here. I feel like I'm not here. Um, on, on my case saying that actually what they did was um, culturally insensitive to tell Black women how and when they can live their lives when white women are doing the same thing and more, and they don't have any comment on those issues. And mm-hmm. so the counterclaim is to say that they actually violated their own rules. The, right. old, the ethics board was un, was unethical. Right, so we'll see right. How that goes. My guess is we don't hear anything. <laughs> I, I hope that it resonates though. You know, well, the, the claimant will hear something. Yeah. The claimant will hear something. That's true. Have to. That's true. Yeah. And, and the, I don't know about worst timing, the worst freaking timing in the world too, because December, January too, is when a lot of SLPs re-remember that they don't want to be paying their dues in the first place. Yeah. And so your case happened at a time where, you know, SLPs were debating this and, you know, and and the live chat that wasn't a live chat with the CEO happened at the time when people were debating this. Um, And do you feel like you've seen, I feel like I've seen a lot of change in the last year with SLPs being even more pissed off than they were before. Like last year we were sitting here saying that SLPs were frustrated with a lot of the things that, you know, a lot of the things coming through ASHA and this year it's gotten even worse. And I sort of feel like right now where we are as a field is in this almost like pre-divorce sort of feeling. Yes. That's exactly you know? It's, it, it's exactly what it feels like. And it feels like a wave that you're riding. It's stressful. It's upsetting. And and the waves some t- some days are like, well, maybe, you know, like if it was my spouse or something, well, maybe he'll learn. Maybe if I just explain to him one more time, like we can work this through, we can go to therapy, we can fix it. Like we just need to figure out a game plan of what needs to be fixed and it'll save our marriage, you know? And then other days it's like, you know, I'm out. Like, you know, he's not listening to me. I've told him a million times what he needs to do in order to save this. And he's doing none of it. He's doing none of it. I'm out. And it feels like this back and forth and back and forth, not just among individual SLPs, but like wholly across the field where you can see those SLPs that are not at all ready for the divorce. Those that are about two seconds from walking out the door. Um, and it's, I don't know what's going to happen over time, but the, I I can say what I want to happen. (laughs) What do you want to happen? What I want to happen is I want there to be a significant reckoning within the next five to 10 years of a realization, either on the part of ASHA or on the part of SLPs that we shouldn't have to pay our dues. And here's, here's what I mean by that. ASHA is an association where their job is to stand up for SLPs and to make sure that SLPs needs are being met and so that we can serve our clients well, right? There's this perception that you're required to pay ASHA in order to even exist as an SLP, like in order to even be able to work. But that's not really the way it works. And that's, first of all, that's not actually true. Secondly, that's not the way it works in other fields. We know that, like we need to have state licenses. The states are regulatory. You have to have a state SLP license in order to be able to, you know, sit with a client, help them, touch them, all that stuff. But ASHA is different. ASHA is not regulatory in that way. But we have this feeling in our brains or... 
you know, by design probably, that we have to pay our dues because it because certain employers require it. A very, very small number of states require it. Med SLPs, you know, report that their employers require it because of insurance stuff, but it's just messy. It's not supposed to be that way. And I feel like Asha's trying to serve a ton of different roles and be a little too big brothery when in reality, if they could just step back and have more of a model where it's optional to pay your dues and where their sole job is really taking care of SLPs, it would help a lot of things. And there's why would they do that? Why would they lose millions of dollars? I know, right? That's the thing. Here, my dream, my dream in my heart of hearts is that they would realize that it's abusive to require SLPs to pay their dues when there's no reason they should be required, you know? But I know that that's not going to happen. I wish it was. Like if, if somebody could plop me into a role in there right now and tell me what to do, I'd be like, you know, if you would just stop making dues required, it would hurt. It would hurt real bad for a while, but it would solve all the problems. It would solve all the problems, you know? Well, then um, that leads to this answer, which is the speech pathologists who complain, as I said before, and I said, we said this, I said it spontaneously in a previous podcast that we had. It may have been the last one just before this, where we talked about dreams or futures or goals or something like mm-hmm. that, where we said how everybody's going to complain as usual about this idea that they shouldn't have to pay always in December. Then they forget about it. And then back in like November, it's like, fuck Asha, right? All that shit. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is that right now, we know that a lot of people have until January 31st, 2023 to make a plan for not paying. Yeah. It doesn't matter if they're not paying because they don't can't afford it. It doesn't matter if not paying out of principle. Mm-hmm. The point is, if you feel like you shouldn't have to pay, then you need to be very thoughtful about how not to pay next year and maintain your lifestyle. You mm-hmm. get to choose that. You get to choose that now. A year is plenty of time to decide how and when you're going to pay next year. For those people who want to pay and love Asha and don't understand what the problem is, well, then good. Keep paying. Keep doing what you're doing. Nobody is stopping you. The people who don't want to pay and want to move on or do something else or figure out how to get their employer to not require it and explain to their employer that this has no bearing on my capacity to work, rather my state license does or something like that, or maybe that doesn't even um, but my or my master's degree is where I got the training. The C's just means that they keep up with CUs and I can send that to you if you really want to. Um, if that's what you want to do, then you need to start um, pounding the pavement now. Um, a lot of people get out of job situations because they feel like they have to. I know that I got out of doing my CF in a school system and decided I'm going back to get a PhD. I just didn't like working the school system that badly, that much. So everyone has a capacity to do something in a year um, and everyone won't do it. But I think if enough people do it, or even if just people wait, just wait until January 31st. If everybody just waits and you pay anyway, if you're one of those people who's like, no, I literally don't have a choice, then just don't pay until the very last day and let them see how their coffers are empty until the last minute so they can see, wow, what would happen if next year nobody paid or very few people paid? And wouldn't it be funny if as October, November rolls around and December rolls around and suddenly they're not seeing as much money come in, they suddenly change the due date to February. That means you had an effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what scares me a little bit about that whole process and how I know it'll play out? The people who I here being vocal and clear about wanting to just stop paying their dues 
are black and brown SLPs. I don't hear nearly as many white SLPs saying it. And I hear a lot more white SLPs doing the, but we can't, but we can't type stuff. Yeah. And I just like that. Why does, just, it, why does it scare you? Cause you think that what? I feel like the people who are already being harmed the most are the ones who are about to step out on the plank because there is a, there is some risk associated with choosing to not have your C's because all of us know that like employers, certain employers might ask for it in certain medical settings. It's literally required. So the people who are already have the most shit being thrown at them are the ones who are then taking the additional risk of dropping their C's. And it just feels gross. And I don't know what the solution to that is, but here's kind of something. So there for a while, I was thinking to myself that the reason more people don't just drop their C's is because they don't know that it's possible. Like they literally just do not know that it's possible. Like it's an information gap. So a few weeks ago, I made a post in a small, super private, like SLP group um, that is very much like just SLPs, you know, like it, highly representative of SLPs. And I asked people, I said, how many of you know, like have at least one colleague who doesn't have their C's over half of people said that they do. So it's not an information gap thing. It's not that people don't realize they can. Most people actually do realize because they personally know practicing SLPs who don't have their C's. But when somebody is screaming that they you know, for out of principle, don't want to pay it anymore, or they can't afford it. That's what really bothers me. It's like when people are saying, I'm having a hard time. Like, I just cannot afford to pay it this year. Like, I just cannot keep doing this, you know, but, oh, and over half of SLPs know that there's an option that they really don't have to, but nobody steps in and says something, you know what I mean? So they're not just self-protecting because they're like, well, for me, for personal reasons, for my own choice, I need to keep them. They're also in a lot of ways, almost gatekeeping the information of the availability of that as a path. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. But everybody has the opportunity to go online and call Ash and get information if their lives are really that bad. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. If you, so you really can't that- afford it to that level, is there something else you couldn't afford? You would go to an office and say, what happens if I can't afford it? What, mm-hmm. what are the, my options for learn for um, membership? So if it's that bad, then do the work. Yeah. Do the work. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think a certain option. uh, The issue really isn't doing the work. The issue is the stigma associated with this club that we've created. This club that we've created (laughs) is so much bigger than anything else. Behaviorally, um, everywhere from like who's vaccinated to who voted for whom to um, who's had an affair, to the SLPs that don't pay. Human beings are human beings. And um, behavior, behavioral psychology is still going to tell us um, that belonging and negative reinforcement, social um, consequences are going to rule the day. Yeah. And the people who don't give a rat's ass, like myself in many ways, are going to be the people who are pivotal, who are innovators, who are leaders, and who are um, polarizing. And people are going to find strength in what you do, and people are going to be afraid of you. The people who are afraid of me are the people who report me to ASHA every... uh, This is not the first time I've been reported to ASHA. This is the first thing they can act on. It was the dumbest thing they could find. Yeah. Um, But there are also the people who are going to support me. There aren't that many people like me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so that's why 
I'm not involved in the field anymore. That's why I'm leaving. That's why I'm going to do my last few projects. I'm going to maintain the swallowing training education portal because I really love how well it educates speech pathologists and beyond and future speech pathologists in a way that's really never been created before. Um, mm -hmm. We want to replace the textbook with the most dynamic, useful, clinically relevant images that finally teach swallowing in a way that ASHA would never let us do. ASHA would never properly deal with the education problem we're having in swallowing. So I created Step with Rinki Varandani Desai in 2018, and it's gone gangbusters, and we're grateful, and that's because it fulfills a need. Now, that was my solution to not having to deal with ASHA's issues. And that's because it mattered enough to, to me to have a full-time job, two kids, <clears throat> several NIH grants, and work on weekends and evenings to do this for speech pathologists. I didn't even know if I'd make any money on it. I had no clue that we'd make money on it, much less be able to retire because it's so um, useful that I could then quit and work on it full-time. So yeah. that said, everybody has something they can do. The extent to which they decide to do it is up to them. We can blame all the people and all the things we want to, but we decide every single day what's going to make us happy, what's not going to make us happy, and what we're going to do anyway. We decide every day whether or not what will the neighbors think, that conventional thinking, which we talked about before, the whole Paul Graham four quadrants of conformism, how much that's going to control your life. It's going to control your life to a degree. Look, how many times have I walked in an empty building where there's nobody there and still kept my mask on? There's literally nobody in the building. And I still put it on. You know why? Because that's the rule. It's fine. It's not going to hurt me. It's not the end of the world. But I also don't have a life where a mask is killing me and I'm waking up every day like, oh, Jesus, I hate this job. I hate this. That's not my life. So that's a small compromise in, in the grander scheme of things. But there are other things that were really bothering me. And I decided to make a solution. And even if your solution is, I'm going to switch and work with an employer that I know does not act, require, that still fulfills me and I get to do the work I want to do, or I'm going to open a private practice. I'm not going to practice myself, but I am going to work with um, a multidisciplinary crew of people who will address this problem. And I'm going to work that way and I don't need my ashes. Or I'm going to be a business owner. Whatever it is, that's the thing you should do. So yeah. I would say I wouldn't worry so much about black and brown people because we are the leaders of the country over and over and over again. We take it on the back first and then white people jump on and say, you know, oh, you know, civil rights. Yes. Malcolm X. I had a dream or mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's no GRE. Yeah, that's because you guys complain for COVID. There hasn't, we've been complaining about GREs for decades and suddenly yeah. now there isn't GRE because you guys said it was a problem. Mm -hmm. So they use the same argument we've been giving them forever for your case, not for ours. Yeah. So I would I wouldn't worry too much because <clears throat> we're innovative innovative bunch because we don't fit in and we know it. Yeah. And when we don't fit in and we rule um, and do things that are better for us, which is what why I wrote that article, Dear Eight Percent, because I understand the history of this country, even though I'm Canadian, um, I understand the history of this country and that Black women take a lot of crap. I'm an example of that. Um, I've done so much free labor for this field. You'd think they'd leave me be. Yeah. But no, they'd rather protect that um, potentially, I don't know if they are um, docile other people who can't handle anything. Oh, you're, this is the other thing I kept hearing. You're strong though. You can handle it. Oh, really? Why don't I just go ahead and take my bat, uh, my shirt off so you can whip me with the cattails? What is going on? So because I don't deserve it, but because I can handle it and I have some wicked coping strategies, I should get more yeah. lashes. This is why I'm leaving, because I'm tired of hearing that. Why don't you take it on the back for once? Why don't you even, you can't even handle a tap on the shoulder and you break down in tears. Right, right. Like handle your business. Yeah. 
And that, that's, yeah, that's another thing that I would like to see our field <laughs> uh, change around in general too, is we are constantly saying we want more respect that we want, you know, better pay. We want people to listen to us. We want our employers to listen to our opinions. You know, we want to be respected more as SLPs, respected more as SLPs. And I really hope that people start to find the paths to getting that for themselves because they're capable of doing so. Are they and though, Meredith? Let's just think about what just happened. I basically said, don't worry about black and brown people. We're going to handle ourselves. If we decide to leave, it's because we have a plan. We don't have the financial fortitude to just leave and be sitting around. But we do know something that if we set that trend, like every other trend that Black people set that don't get, we don't get credit for, white people will follow and that it'll be something they did. I will get zero credit for this. Yeah. I will get zero credit for tipping everything off. I'll get zero credit for all the things I've done that have been innovative, thought-provoking, forward-thinking. I will get zero credit. And I, I don't need any. The credit that I get is knowing in my heart that I earned respect based on my behavior, my integrity. Mm-hmm. And I fully expect for people to act like this, like somebody else started this whole trend or, or whatever it was, or I was the bad person. And then some other white person who it happens to the next time, the Rosa Parks, because when some, some people don't know is that Rosa Parks wasn't the first person to not sit down on the bus. A young black pregnant woman was and they didn't want to put her up because the world would see that she was pregnant out of wedlock in the 50s 60s or whatever it happened so when it happened again with rosa parks who was a sweet demure light-skinned woman we got to put her up so i'm happy to be the pre-rosa parks person it's fine whatever it builds a case or the emmett till but whatever the case is i then i said that i put it out there and then you said that we don't you know there's an issue with respect You can't get respect if you don't respect yourself. If you don't respect yourself, it's because you're sitting here taking it up the ass. Right. (laughs) If you keep taking it up the ass and go, why do they keep putting me over the barrel? And then you bend over. What do you think they're going to do? Bend you over the barrel. You have to demand respect in this world. And the reason I know that is because I live my life the way I live it. Yeah. If you've had it easy enough that it's not that bad, you're never going to do anything drastic to get things that you don't even know if you really want. The people who know they want it are the people who are who are struggling. And that tends to be the black and brown. So we're going to end up leading the way. We're going to be the trailblazers. And by the time this trend really hits and something really hits the fan, then it'll be a mainstream thing. And we won't even know who started it. What will they'll probably do is I'll die one day and they'll put some silly little they'll try to put some scholarship or some black, you know, SLP thing in my name. I've already told everybody, you know, and I'm glad I'm saying this on this podcast. They cannot use my name for anything. They, they cannot use my name. <laughs> These people cannot use my name. You yeah. will put, I don't want you naming any buildings after me to go down um, dilapidated as Erica Badu says. Do not do that crap because it will do nothing. You had an opportunity. Now's the time to fix it. Don't worry about naming the, some or giving me some honorary honors after I'm dead. I don't give a rat's ass. Also, my kids aren't making any money from that. And I'm concerned about my legacy. You guys handle your business. Earn the respect. If you respect yourself and you don't take this crap, then you will absolutely tell them that it will, it will be oozing out of your pores. Yeah. Do you think our, (laughs) but I still, like, I still, maybe, and maybe I'm not hearing you deeply enough. I guess my point was just, I hope that more people respect themselves the way you clearly do. And I hope that some of the behavior that you've modeled gets. That's like hoping that people, people will suddenly do diet and exercise. 
Like yeah. the whole world is now going to finally do diet and exercise the, the way that we all should and diabetes is all going to go away. This is a, the, the way, the reason we're here right now is because humans have been allowing this from industry and organization and country and um, uh, institution and government after government exactly this way. People are sheep for the most part. Yeah. People will do things that people (laughs) tell them they have to do and they won't ask why they'll say, well, somebody said we have to. And you're like, oh, how come? I don't know, but you don't want to do it. No. Did you ask them why? No, but you're going to do it. Yes. There you go. Yeah. And again, like I said, there are areas where conforming isn't the end of the world. Okay. I just Mm -hmm. talked about masks. Do I love them? No. Am I going to wear them? Absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. But if this is really something that really bothers you, then I don't understand why you're taking it the way you're taking it. If, if, especially since you don't have to, like you said on that um, SLP Facebook group, you were talking about people actually know they don't have to, but the stigma associated with it is so much worse than the reality that they get to be an independent thinker. Mm-hmm. They would rather be they'd rather be a conformant, a a, a conformist and get, go along to get along and have friends that are like them than they would to be an independent thinker. And then you don't have to tell anybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the people who are, um, I have a, a, you know, a couple of friends who, you know, decide they don't want to get the vaccine. I'm like, well, when you do, you don't have to tell anybody because they don't want to hear you. I told you so more than they want to be vaccinated. Right. So I'm like, just don't tell anybody, just get it and tell them, yeah, I'm not vaccinated. Nobody has to know. Yeah. So if you decide not to pay your dues, just handle your business quietly. If that's your issue. Well, I mean, being an SLP is my identity. That's a problem. That's a problem. You know why? Because before you were an SLP, you had a whole ass personality. Mm-hmm. And suddenly you, you thought that if you pledge this Greek organization, or if you, if you get this, you know, this husband, or if you live in this neighborhood, you're searching for yourself. That's the problem. Yeah. And if you're always searching for yourself, of course, they can ride your ass the way as hard as everyone can ride your ass the exactly the style that they want to. Yeah. Well, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't worry about people then. No. People <laughs> what people if y'all feel do. like you're not no, respected, then people don't in. get your respect. <laughs> exactly. People be people in and they be people in hard and all the time. Like you said, a podcast ago, you said humans are going to human. Yeah. Yeah. But what you can do is you can handle yourself and be an example and live a life that you're proud of. Go yeah, forward I, and live a life you're proud of. And to the extent to which you want to galvanize people, galvanize people. But you generally galvanize people by the light that you shine in your life more than the things you say and the instructions you give them. Because if they don't feel that sort of um, that ignition on the inside, that spark happening, they mm-hmm. won't act. Oh, I've learned, I've been learning this lesson recently. I have been learning this lesson recently because, um, I have tried to become significantly more involved in anti-racism related conversations within our field. And I feel like (laughs) I'm learning a lot really quickly about how there isn't shit that I can say that is going to make any difference whatsoever, unless people are really, really, really ready to hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a strange, strange experience because on the one hand, I feel like, um, I feel like the right thing to do is to try to be helpful and to try to say something and to try to converse with folks. Um, but I'm quite ineffective at it most of the time. <laughs> 
<laughs> and you never know how effective you are. If it's something that you're passionate about, you may have to say it many, 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 many times, just like parenting. Right. How many right. times you say something to your kid over and over and over and over and over again to save them? Or because, you know, one day they're going to need it when they're grown up, but you're passionate about your kids. So you do this thing over and over again. And one day it clicks or it doesn't, but you do it knowing it's worth it to do it. And if you right. find that you're doing something that is worth it to do it, you keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I do. Keep, I do keep doing it. I just keep trying to figure out, is there something that I need to tweak in order to be more effective? Um, which is my own journey to try to figure out, but um, yeah, yeah. It's been interesting, <laughs> but I still, I still hope the same thing. I'm sorry, but I still hope the same thing. I still hope that at some point in time, SLPs gradually start to feel like they have more respect from people around them. However that happens, <laughs> however that happens, I genu genuinely think that we're slowly but surely maybe headed that direction. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what I want to see. I want to see. Everybody wants to see it. I yeah. think that's where we're all in agreement <laughs> from ASHA to every SLP, even the people yeah. we work with. If the physicians, the teachers, et cetera, if we say we wish you had more respect, they don't, they're not going to give anything up but they want to see it. Everyone wants mm -hmm. to see it. Nobody doesn't want to see it. Yeah. What are you willing to give up for it? A lot of people say, I wish racism didn't exist. Who are you telling? Yeah. What do you want to give up lady? Yeah. What are you giving yeah. up? Yeah. Nothing. So it sort of takes me to like, why I know that I have to be done. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like why I know that I have done a lot of things that are going to probably last into the future in ways that I don't know about yet. Yes. But the way that I live my life is often oppositional to the way that the field wants to see themselves right now. They're conservative in their approach to things. They're often more timid and demure. Mm -hmm. They are often more concerned about how people feel and being liked and if they're nice. And you, one thing you learn if you read anything about the civil rights movement, if you read anything about any of the movements where Black people led them, is that you can't wait for people to give you things. You have to take it. Yeah. The way they took it in the first place. What do you mm -hmm. think? White people went to these countries and said, do you mind if we rape and pillage your women? and sell off your children, they go, there you go. Good, sir. Thanks for asking first. No, they took it. And your point is you got to take it back. The process of taking it back is understanding yourself first and the extent to which you want to take these risks and what you do want to take back and what you're, oh, you'll have to live with them keeping. Mm -hmm. So I've already decided that my way of living is existing. I, I've expired in this field. And I knew it all last year that I was on my way out, but this little kick in the ass at the very end of the year was like, boy, you better start a new 2022 faster than you thought. So my goal is to continue to build step community because I'm still passionate about swallowing education that will not go anywhere. We have thousands of subscribers. We're licensed to many universities and countries, and we want to keep that education going because I believe that that is the most direct way for me to impact the lives of individuals with swallowing disorders. Mm -hmm. And um, the recorded content that I already created with um, Travis Threats, Dr. Travis Threats, who was a guest on our previous episodes, um, I will continue to um, go ahead and make that available, recorded content on diversity, equity, inclusion for our field, so that people can access that for training purposes and for CEUs, et cetera. 
Mm-hmm. But I will be taking no new projects. I have committed to some state meetings that will take me through, oh, maybe April or something like that. And I will honor those talks. I will give those talks. And then that will be my only footprint left in speech pathology, the recorded content that people can access to learn more about diversity, equity, inclusion, or swallowing education and training. And what will I do next? Well, I'll tell you one thing. As part of being an innovator in this field, I have gained a lot of skills um, from music. I mean, uh, harness the skills I already had from art to music to even doing voiceovers on all those on all those swallowing videos. A lot of people are like I could listen to you all day. I was like, well, then I guess I'll be a voiceover. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't care what. The point is, I can reinvent myself whenever I want to. Yeah, because I am defined by who I am, not the field that I gave to. Always remember, you may have gotten something from the field, but you're also giving something to the field. And I've given to this field quite a bit. And um, I've decided that I'm going to get some things for myself that have nothing to do with speech pathology, because I recognize now that I'm at the point now where I'm getting diminishing returns. It's less gratifying because it's, it's so much more of a struggle. And that's because I'm being watched. And I think the reason they targeted me is because they believe I have enough power. I think that they didn't like the things I was saying on this podcast. I think they don't like, and, and that it was easy to come for me. I think they definitely didn't like the fact that I was talking about sex and um, that is their problem, but I can still talk about sex. I don't plan to renew my dues. January 31st is coming up and I will not renew it because that will be the last sort of foot, uh, toe in the water, if you will, with Mm -hmm. regard to this field. And I'm feeling very optimistic about the future. Yeah. I love watching the work you do. And so I'm excited to see what else you do, regardless of what it is, even if I don't get to see it, even if it's just voiceovers and then, you know, maybe I'm watching something on TV someday and I'm like, that's Vanessa's voice. Exactly. (laughs) She's straight up with it. (laughs) She's working for Netflix now. Exactly. Does your engine get hot? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, um, I'm staying. <laughs> I'm staying. Um, and like, I, I'm really glad for the opportunity to have gotten to do this podcast with you. And I'm really glad for some of the things that I've learned from you. And it's been really nice having someone to like bounce thoughts and ideas off of and stuff like that. And my plans for 2022 are to observe a little bit more. I think I need to go into a bit more of an observation phase as opposed to a doing phase because I'm highly motivated to be helpful and involved in shit all the time and talking to people all the time and problem solving and fixing things. You know what I mean? But I can see a lot of gaps in my ability to be effective. And I really think that I need to spend a little bit more time forcing myself to shut the fuck up and watch (laughs) so much harder than you think because you're now a prominent person who people recognize that they should send you a message and say hey can we schedule a zoom call I'd like to talk to you and you keep taking the calls and you realize it's the same thing all the time and it goes nowhere yeah you're gonna have to force yourself and I'm forcing myself every time I get a request to do a talk or something I have to remember I need to pass this on to another person who can do this effectively. Um, I need to pass the baton, but you're right. If you don't force yourself to sit back and observe and really be strategic about your next move to get to your passions, instead of just reacting, 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 Mm -hmm. you'll be spinning your wheels and getting nowhere. 
Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent of time. And people who aren't ready to have certain conversations and people who aren't ready to hear things are just a complete waste of my time and energy anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I need to conserve a little bit more of that and engage less in direct conversations. Um, I'm also, I super excited. It just started this month. I'm doing this equity and business training thing, mm. which I'll be doing, um, a few times per month all this year. And frankly, I kind of plan to do it forever because I'm not really sure it ever should or will end. Um, but I want to make sure that my business is exactly what it should be, what I want it to be and can become a model of, you know, how to have true equity in a field where you have to be really explicit about ensuring those type of things. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Mm -hmm. um, so that'll keep me busy so that I can't <laughs> yeah. engage in so many conversations and, you know, yeah. stuff like that. But. If I, if I'm going to ask you this and then we can close out, but um, I'm going to tell you that a lot of people are asking me like, what advice do I have? Or if I had some last few words, what would I say? And, or, and people are often saying, you must be so angry, so frustrated. I want everybody to know I'm not angry. I'm clear. Yeah. As if you've ever known somebody who has shown their ass and you're like, oh, that's who you are. You can't even get angry anymore because they can't stop themselves from being that person. And now you realize you're the person with a sense who's spinning your wheels and getting mad that they can't change. And you're like, oh, lines are going to try to kill you no matter what. It's who they are. You're not going to change. You know, that Chris, uh, Chris Rock joke where they say the tiger went wild. It's like, no, that tiger went tiger. That's mm -hmm. what a tiger does. Mm -hmm. Asha went Asha. I'm not mad. I'm clear. I recognize where I don't fit. And um, I would like everybody to take that same advice. Don't get angry, get clear. When you get clear on who you're dealing with, no matter what it is in your life, a person, a sibling, an institution, or even your spouse, then you can actually really sit back, like you said, observe, understand the circumstance, understand yourself in the circumstance, and respond accordingly, strategically, with a scalpel and not a hatchet. That's what needs to happen. Yeah. And so don't get angry, get clear, get your evidence, pull your stuff together and make it less of an emotional response. Cause you best believe those people at ASHA are not emotional as, as emotional about you and your dues as yeah. you are about you and your dues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, one interjection too, I think it's important for people <laughs> to also recognize that this, like none of this is isolated to ASHA. This is the way all of our fields businesses operate, which is one of the reasons that I think that it's really important for me to be like focusing on, you know, business in particular. Um, but it's, it's not just you. It happened to, it's not just racism. It's not just respect. It's ableism. It's everything. And it's the way all of our fields businesses operate too. Mm -hmm. So when we're having these conversations and being critical about things that need to change, um, just be aware that it's everywhere. Like if somebody were to ask me, you know, if, if you could wave a whack, are you saying that you would just get rid of ASHA? Absolutely not. I actually wouldn't. I want, I want an association. I want them to stay there, but I want to see change as well. Um, and I also want people to recognize that we have a tendency in our field to like take this spotlight 
and like go around and look for all the problems, you know, like where's, where's the problem? Where's the problem? Oh, it's Asha and shine the light on Asha. Asha's the problem. And it becomes a very like easy thing for people to latch onto because like, you know, it for various reasons, but that that spotlight really should be going everywhere. In addition to on ourselves, perhaps most importantly on Mm -hmm. ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed doing this podcast with you. Um, I have learned so much from you. I've learned so much from the topics. I have had the opportunity to expand my mind. And I wanted to do this podcast with you because I was getting a little tired of just talking about swallowing. I wanted to talk about field level things. And now I'm tired of talking about field level things. And I want to talk about things outside of SLP. Yeah. And I'm firm. I firmly believe that whatever life I lived before this life that we see me here for really set me up to be the person we are here. And I'm not coming back to be a speech pathologist my next life. I got to end this now. That's how I feel. So Mm -hmm. for that reason, I just want to thank you as well for being somebody who was so willing to go there with me. Like I was a little worried that this podcast would turn into me being the radical person, you taking on the, the, the more um, modest, conservative, careful person who didn't want to take off Asha and couldn't have a conversation. And actually we had some of the best conversations because we were raw, open and authentic and we were unedited. We literally, the introduction to this, we should replay the introduction at the end. I almost feel like, um, just let's do that. Instead of putting it in the intro, let's go out to that porn music. Cause I always thought it was porn music, like, um, but we need to, to go out to that and everyone needs to hear again, what we said this podcast would be about. And maybe in the comments, you can say true or false. Did we achieve that in 10 episodes since this is our last? That sounds perfect. All right. Talk more soon. Yep. Bye. Bye. Welcome to Evidence and Argument, a podcast for SLPs, audiologists, and the scientists who support them. This is a podcast where you'll come with questions and leave with more of them. A podcast by two people who love thinking and lively debate, but hate beating around the bush and baseless claims.